0: Welcome to the Soul Sessions Podcast. Deep dive into the causes and real issues underlying addiction, codependency, emotional eating, weight concerns, and the trance of unworthiness. Tune in weekly to befriend, nourish, and heal body, feelings, mind, and soul. And now your host, soul-centered psychotherapist, trauma expert, and mind-body eating coach, Jody Gale. Hi everyone. Welcome to the Soul Sessions with Jodie Gale. This episode is for National Psychotherapy Day. So this is my fave therapy day of the year, NPD as we call it. And it's all about raising awareness about mental health concerns and breaking down the stigma about going to therapy. So before we get stuck in, hang around at the end of the episode because I have a fantastic giveaway specifically for those of you out there who suffer with trauma, emotional eating and the trance of unworthiness. Today's episode is about why disordered eating treatment needs depth psychotherapy now more than ever before. And hint, hint, it's got to do with early childhood trauma and emotional neglect. So disordered eating and other food, weight and body image concerns are very much like a puzzle, complex, multifaceted and each of you who are struggling with these concerns will have your own unique story and puzzle of risk factors to do with why your disordered eating started in the first place. There will be an assortment of reasons regarding its maintenance, and we often say that what starts often with chronic dieting, but what starts chronic dieting, emotional and disordered eating, isn't always what keeps it going. So in my mind-body eating work with women, I take a soul-centered, holistic, and whole person approach, as opposed to a disease, illness, or medically orientated perspective. So this list is not exhaustive. Nevertheless, here are some of the underlying and maintaining issues you might be called to work through as you journey your path to full recovery. Here's the list. And like I said, there are many other factors as well. So attachment history and attachment injuries. So there are four attachment styles, secure, avoidant dismissive, ambivalent preoccupied, and disorganized unresolved. And These styles are going to come up in several episodes. I know I've recorded a few episodes already and we are definitely talking about these things. And I will also do some separate episodes just on education around attachment. So complex trauma and adverse childhood experiences, emotional dysregulation and the use of food to soothe feelings, childhood emotional neglect and the lack of attunement from caregivers, dysfunctional family systems and the relational dynamics within the family, family history of addiction, dieting and disordered eating. That could also actually include a family history of anxiety, depression or, you know, severe mental illness, body dissatisfaction and body dysmorphia, internal splitting, ego states and the inner family system dynamics, thoughts, feelings, urges and behaviours. Cultural expectations, media and the thin ideal. Identity crisis, so that is who am I and who am I separate from who I've been told I am. The use of self-harm and self-destructive behaviours as a survival strategy. Having high expectations and standards of self and others. A sense of shame and a deep sense of unworthiness. Genetics, biology and the brain. Underlying anxiety and depression, a history of sexual abuse or sexual assault, and spiritual awakening and spiritual crisis. And what I mean by spiritual crisis is typically a lack of value, meaning, and purpose in life. So, this was originally a blog post of mine. So, how this came about was a few years ago, the Australian government announced that those suffering with severe eating issues or severe eating disorders, so classified by the DSM, That people will receive 40 sessions a year of Medicare funded psychological eating disorder treatment. So, this is fantastic news for some, but somewhat limiting for most who are suffering because most people with eating disorders don't actually fit into that DSM category, one of the three or four categories. So, you still pay a gap fee for those sessions anyway. So, they're not actually free, which uh, a lot of people are sort of under the assumption that they are. So, on the other hand, we get People suffering with obesity and weight concerns, for example, who often go to the doctor for whatever reason. They might not even be there about their weight. Typically, they're not. They've gone for something else. And the doctor will put them on a diet, which we know typically results in gaining weight. And if that's you, you're rarely asked about the underlying issues behind your eating. And so I want to stress here that A, it's not a crime to live in a big body, and B, not everyone in a big body has underlying eating concerns, but some people do. Just the same as thin people. Some people do, some people don't. Typically, the eating issues underneath the weight, if there are eating issues, are missed because the focus is just on the weight, not the person's holistic and overall health. So the primary modality prerequisite for Medicare funded treatment is Cognitive Behavioural Therapy, so CBT, or Enhanced Cognitive Behavioural Therapy, which is CBTE. And this type of therapy predominantly focuses on changing thoughts, feelings, urges, and behaviours. So if you remember the list from earlier, that's just one aspect of that. So CBT has been heroed as an economical, quick-fix solution with a large evidence base for issues such as anxiety, addiction, depression, and eating concerns. However, long-term studies show that there is less than a 50% success rate in specifically in eating disorder treatment recovery. And I seem to remember someone stating at an eating disorder conference a few years ago that it could be as low as 42%. I wasn't shocked by that, but that's quite shocking to me. That's certainly not my experience in therapy of people recovering. It's a lot higher in, in my practice, that's for sure. So I did my field education back in 2010 at Women's Health New South Wales. They're a feminist organisation by women, for women, and they say that outcomes-based medical models supported by many governments are primarily concerned with getting rid of problems rather than caring for the whole person. So one of the world's most highly regarded psychotherapists, Irvin Yalom, sees that the psychotherapy field is in crisis and describes these medical modalities as economically driven, perforce, symptom-orientated, brief, superficial and insubstantial therapies. And as part of an overall treatment for people suffering with eating concerns, CBT is very useful. I use it as a tool regularly in my work when counselling clients And in terms of my own recovery 25 years ago, I attended an eating disorder self-help group in London where CBT was the primary modality. And then I often have a bit of a a sort of chuckle and say, and then the real work began. So it kind of provides, for me anyway, it provided that very initial sort of stopgap. And then I was working with the real issues for most of the time after that. So if we go back to the list of causes and maintaining factors, disordered eating is far more complex than merely refeeding if someone's been restricting and they've ended up in hospital to be very, very sick. They absolutely need refeeding before anything else and it is absolutely all about the food at that point. But it's also more complex than that and it's more complex than just working with cognitive distortions and behaviours. So we're really working on the level of the personality when we work like that, and soul is typically neglected. So in 20 years of private counselling practice with women with addiction, anxiety, depression, and eating concerns, every single one of them has had a history of complex trauma. 20 years of practice, every single one of them has had a history of complex trauma. So in Australia, one in four adults, approximately 5 million people, are estimated to have experienced significant trauma throughout childhood. This trauma occurred in their home, family, neighbourhood or within institutions. And so that's a quote or information there by Kesselman, 2015 And complex trauma is a significant risk factor for the development of disordered eating. So from my perspective, that includes chronic dieting, emotional eating, binge eating, clean eating, bulimia, obviously anorexia. And underlying these concerns is always that trance of unworthiness that somewhere in your life, you learned, I am not good enough as I am. So what is complex trauma? Trauma expert, Bessel van der Kolk states that the traumatic stress field has adopted the term complex trauma to describe the experience of multiple and or chronic and prolonged developmentally adverse traumatic events, most often of an interpersonal nature and early life onset. These exposures often occur within the child's caregiving system and include physical, emotional and educational abandonment neglect and abuse beginning in early childhood. The National Institute of Mental Health in the United States defines childhood trauma as the experience of an event by a child that is emotionally painful or distressful, which often results in lasting mental and physical effects. In Understanding Trauma and Abuse, the Blue Knot Foundation here in New South Wales In Australia, advise that complex trauma is often unintentionally perpetuated by parents who have their own history of trauma. The trauma is ongoing, repetitive, and results in the inability to emotionally regulate and to feel safe in the world. The use of coping strategies such as codependent relationships, addiction, disordered eating, and self-harm are prevalent in those who have suffered trauma. And I guess I just want to add here that when someone first said the word trauma to me, I was like, "Isn't that something you go to A and E for? Or, you know, accident and emergency for?" And I was sort of picturing a ambulance picking someone up with a head trauma or something. So, when we're talking about complex trauma, it can appear in many forms and is made up of one or more of the following. And to be honest, that I mean, there's so many other things that could be added to this list. So again, this list is not exhaustive. I recently. Put a call out to my trauma group around the term that they all use, and there's a lot of different terms. So attachment trauma, interpersonal trauma, childhood trauma, early childhood wounding, PTSD, CPTSD, and the general consensus was that complex trauma covers all of the above. And so here we go. Complex trauma can include abandonment, neglect, and abuse, and it can be emotional, cultural, physical, sexual, and spiritual attachment related injuries resulting in anxious ambivalent or disorganized insecure attachment a lack of attunement and unavailability to the child's needs and feelings by the primary caregivers which result in emotional dysregulation and a lack of trust that needs will be met the primary caregivers feelings and needs took precedence over the child's resulting in the child having a narcissistic wounding and whereby the child is never fully seen in her own right. Arrested development of the self, what we would call developmental trauma, a loss of self or a poor sense of self-identity. A deep sense of shame and guilt. And just to clarify quickly there, we might do a whole episode on this. Uh, Shame is about I am bad and guilt is I have done something bad. That's the difference between those profound sense of low self-esteem and low self-worth. There's a frequency of dissociative and somatic symptoms. You probably learn to rely on external rather than internal cues. And there's toxic familial relationships, a dysfunctional family system, and there's often been a divorce. So trauma interferes with the neurobiological development and because early experiences occur in the context of a developing brain, neural development and social interaction are inextricably intertwined. And that's Bessel van der Kolk, 2014. Sue Burton Verdi, 2019, state that trauma results in excruciatingly painful and negative stories that build over time. So some of the internal stories go something like this. I'm not good enough. There is something wrong with me. I don't deserve to eat. No one will love me if I am fat. I can't go to the beach at this weight, and so forth. There are many ways that you might be distracting yourself from the psychic and somatic pain associated with trauma. Catanzaro, Doyne and Thompson in 2019 state that one way of Doing so is to become obsessed and preoccupied with food, weight, and attempts to control your body to the extent where your disordered eating becomes your primary relationship. And you might even find yourself saying, Food is my best friend. I totally get that. I absolutely used to feel like that too. And really, it was the only thing I felt that I could depend on uh, to make me feel better. Well, that and drugs. So, a very typical and then of course recovery means mourning the loss of one's supposed best friend which of course it's not really so not everyone who suffers with disordered eating does have a complex trauma history however as mentioned previously 20 years specializing in eating concerns all of my clients have and that's what we call practice-based evidence. So I sometimes get emails from people saying, where's your evidence? Where's your evidence? Where's that documented? You know, you should be evidence-based practice. Well, there is also such a thing called practice-based evidence, where therapists have been working with people for a very, very, very long time, and we know what we see. And this is what I've seen in my practice. So With increasing evidence to support the link between disordered eating and complex trauma, symptom-oriented one-dimensional treatment is not going to cut it. To quote one of my clinical supervisors, who is a world-renowned eating disorder specialist, well, I hope these 40 sessions aren't going to be more of the same because that won't work. Petricelli, so Jean Petricelli in 2019 also, is in relation to the interpersonal treatment of eating disorders. She writes A disordered eating symptom is not something to simply get rid of, but rather something to profoundly understand as it holds dissociated parts of oneself and one's relational history. It reflects aspects of one's history that cannot be tolerated as part of the self. In Why Love Matters, How Affection Shapes the Baby's Brain, Sue Gerhardt proposes that if you have experienced disturbances in your early attachment relationships and family of history, through psychotherapy, and she's talking about depth psychotherapy, you can grow a socially and emotionally intelligent brain. So she says the missing experience of having feelings recognised and acknowledged by another person particularly of having strong feelings tolerated by another person, is provided by the therapist. Slowly through these types of experiences with a psychotherapist, a new muscle begins to develop, an ability to be heard and to listen, to listen and be heard. Psychotherapy offers a change to rework the emotional strategies, but it takes time to establish new networks in the brain. So trauma and disordered eating recovery work requires deep, long-term, at least weekly, sometimes two to three times a week therapy, with a highly experienced therapist who can use the therapeutic relationship to repair your underlying insecure attachment and early childhood relational disturbances. Just because you get 40 sessions with someone, it doesn't mean to say that just because that is longer-term therapy, that the therapeutic relationship and that you're working at depth with those issues. So my advice is to be uh, Discerning and to really really check out if that is the right kind of therapy for you and it's not to say that there isn't some great therapist out there doing some great stuff because there certainly is. So in the centrality of presence and the therapeutic relationship in eating disorders, Carolyn Coston says that a positive therapeutic relationship provides a corrective emotional experience providing healthy attachment, which fosters trust, safety and the ability to facilitate unmet attachment needs. So she goes on to say that, Repeated experiences of the therapist's presence help to regulate your nervous system. It creates neural pathways and enhances your ability to feel safe, allowing for deep therapeutic work and healing. So, most people arrive at the therapist's door drowning in a sea of despair and are desperate for immediate results. But recovery requires connection, consistency, safety, security, and trust all experiences that you may have missed out on. So, over time, these experiences are internalized to form a secure sense of self and to quote Petricelli again, although the disordered eating population wants immediate results, recovery involves a long-term therapeutic approach. This can be difficult to sell when social trends are at odds with participating in meaning-centred long-term therapy. So she says, through texting, tweeting, swiping and Skyping, the concepts and experiences of sitting with feelings, holding thoughts and delaying gratification are challenges as obsolete modes of being, doing or operating in the world. The irony is that these individuals wish to control their lives and paradoxically, to be fully in control, one must learn to relinquish control and find a way to tolerate life's ambiguities. So depth psychotherapy with someone specifically trained in trauma and disordered eating, food, weight and body image concerns is the perfect place to do that. With the increasing number of individuals suffering with childhood trauma-related eating concerns, we need depth psychotherapy more now than ever before. So if you are a parent or a loved one listening to this, perhaps you have an individual in your life who is suffering with disordered eating, listening to this episode about early childhood emotional neglect and complex trauma might trigger some pretty painful feelings. You might feel angry, you might feel sad, you might feel guilty, you might feel shame. That's completely normal. And as a therapist who also works with families of those suffering, you really, really, really need to hear this, that it is not about blaming family members because they have likely suffered adverse childhood experiences themselves. And what that means is is that typically when I'm working with women in my practice, what I see is that most of the time the parent has suffered deeply too. What I do know is that for the women that I do counsel in my practice, those who recover easier, I guess, and more long term, if you get someone coming into therapy at 27, 28, it's slightly different. But when I get young girls, and they're still very much, maybe they're living at home still and stuff like that, typically, it's easier to recover if the family are willing to participate in family therapy, a systems approach. Again, I get emails from people saying this approach has been debunked. Rubbish, honestly, that's absolute rubbish. A systems approach to anything in life is always going to be a far more useful approach. And what that does is it stops the person suffering from an eating disorder or whatever they're going through from being pathologized as the sick one in the family. In fact, the whole family is typically very sick. And that's very hard to hear. However, it's not about blame. It's about everyone participating in some kind of recovery. So there are some parenting groups out there that are very, very useful for certain types of therapy. Sometimes there's a very strong allegiance to eating concerns being a biological disease, particularly severe eating disorders being a biological disease. Coming back to the beginning of this article, that genetics are just one part of the overall puzzle. And what we say often is that genes load the gun, but it's the home, school, cultural, religious environments that pull the trigger. So that is the end of today's episode. But before we do end, I have a fantastic giveaway just for you. I've got nine wonderful books to help you heal from childhood trauma, emotional eating and the trance of unworthiness. And I will just read those out to you. So we've got Finding Your Ruby Slippers by Lisa Ferenz. And I will be interviewing Lisa. I'm so excited for that interview. I've been following her for a long time. I wrote about her in my master thesis, so it's very exciting. Untamed, Stop Pleasing, Start Living by Glennon Doyle. The Gifts of Imperfection by Brené Brown. Befriending Your Body by Anne Safi-Biasetti, who was on last week's episode. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful book. Really is my go-to these days, having read that recently. Anti-Diet, Reclaiming Your Time, Money, Wellbeing and Happiness Through Intuitive Eating by Christy Harrison. Recover Your Inner Child by Dr. Capiccioni, The Body Keeps the Score, Brain, Mind and Body in the Healing of Trauma by Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, and that's who I've quoted quite significantly in this podcast today, Complex PTSD from Surviving to Thriving with Pete Walker. So head on over to Instagram, I'm at jodie.gale, and find the post with the book covers and the win on it. It's a grey, white, and pink, I think. Head on over, follow the instructions there. You will also find details on how to enter in the show notes. So this is Episode 5. You can find today's show notes at thesoulcentre.online forward slash Soul Sessions 5 Complex Trauma and Disordered Eating or just go to the website and click on the podcast list there. Okay, thank you for listening. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Soul Sessions podcast. Love this episode? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank you. To learn more about how you can befriend your body, feelings, mind and soul, get Jody's free 65-page ebook at thesoulcenter.online. Until next time.